Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter 11. The book of Mark, chapter 11, starting in verse 12. And it says, On the morrow when they, they, the disciples and Jesus, were come from Bethany, he, Jesus, was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of the fig was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. If you jump down to verse 20, Mark eleven twenty, 20. It says, In the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou curseth is withered away. Jesus answering and said unto them, Have faith in God, for verily I say unto you, that whatsoever or, or whosoever shall say unto the mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he says. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. There's a lot of promises of God in that one little setting of Scripture that God poured out on His church, amen. And we need to walk and operate in those promises. And we need to understand what that means for you and for me in my daily life as a church, amen. So I'm going to talk to you today, and this will make sense as I get further into the sermon here. You have been anointed for this. You have been anointed for this. Put your Bibles down if you would, please. Lift your hands one more time. Let's pray. Thank God for what he's doing and what he's going to continue to do. Come on, lift your voice. Hallelujah, Jesus. We thank you, God, for your presence that's already in this place, God. We pray, God, that you move mightily in the spirit, God. God, we come against every stronghold of the enemy, God. I come against false doctrine. I come against every vain imagination that would exalt itself against the knowledge of you. I take authority over pride and fear and doubt and unbelief. Every hindering spirit of the enemy in the name of Jesus, I cast it down. I take authority. I bind their influence out of this sanctuary. And I open our ears to truth and revelation and understanding, God. I pray, God, that you equip us today. That, God, you impart into us today as your church, your will, and your purpose for our lives, God. An understanding of how we can operate. Hallelujah, God, according to your word and according to your way for your glory, God, that your church would be lifted up, that you will be exalted, that you will receive all the glory in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Everybody say, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Just uh, buckle your seatbelts real quick. Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. I'm going to say that again. Jesus is God, manifest in the flesh. He was fully man, and he was fully God. He is the express visible image of the invisible God. God is spirit, and we cannot see spirits with our carnal eyes. But the Bible tells us that we have seen God in the face of Christ Jesus. Amen. Jesus is God. He's not one separate person of God. He's not Jehovah Junior, and he is not God the Son. He is not one of three, but he is the one. He is the manifest glory of the Spirit in this world. He is God himself incarnate in flesh. For all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in him, what? Bodily. Everything that God is dwelt in that man, in that fleshly tabernacle that God created for himself. And he walked on this earth, and his name is Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 3.16, it says, and without controversy. There's no argument to it. Men might argue it, but there is no argument to it. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Who was manifest in the flesh? God himself was manifest in the flesh. Not a person of the Godhead, but God himself was manifest in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit. He was seen of angels. He was preached unto the Gentiles, and he was believed on in the world, and he was received up into glory. That's talking about Jesus Christ himself, amen? 
Jesus is not part of a triune God. He is God Almighty himself manifested in the flesh. Well, why are you saying that, Pastor? Because we need to know who our God is. And we need to have a clear understanding that he is one. And he's not any separate anything. He is one. And he alone is God. Amen. And his name is Jesus Christ. He's not subject to anyone or anything. He's not co-equal or co-eternal and co-whatever with any one thing. He alone is God. There's no God beside him. There's no God before him, and there's no God after him. And he shall always be by himself because he is the only potentate. He is the only true and living God. His name is Jesus Christ. He has no equal, and that is Jesus. Philippians 2.9, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, the man, Christ Jesus, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in the earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. He is the beginning. He is the ending. Amen. He is God himself. He is the great I am that I am. He told us that he is that. He is the creator. He is the deliverer. He is the sustainer, the provider, and the savior. He alone is God, and there's nothing like him. And he alone is God, and there's none near him. He alone is God, and he shall, no other God shall be worshiped but him. Amen. He's the one that holds the key to the heavens. He's the one that keeps it all together. It's God himself manifest. He came in flesh, and he robed himself in that fleshly tabernacle for your sin and my sin. That doesn't and make him two separate things. When God himself came down and he formed himself a body, he didn't create a body for his son to go pay the price of his creation's redemption. No, he made a body for himself to go pay the price for his creation's redemption. It was for him. The body was for him. Not another person of the Godhead that had been waiting around to come forth. God, all through the Old Testament, he's one, he's one, he's one, he's one. That didn't change all of a sudden when Jesus was born. He didn't all of a sudden become a plurality of persons in any way. Yes, he is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. But he's never referred to as God the Son. That's a big different statement right there. He is the Son of God, not God the Son. He is the Son of God because no other person was ever birthed by God himself. Adam and Eve were created. Amen. Adam and Eve were created. All you were born by a mom and a dad. God came down and he moved upon Mary and she conceived a son. That's his son. It's only his son because that's the only begotten flesh of God. Amen. But he created that body for himself to one day redeem back to him his most prized creation, you and I. And then he also did that so that he could show us a perfect example of what it means to serve him. And allow him to not only be our God, but also our Lord on a daily basis. To be the one that we submit to and give lordship of our lives to. God doesn't have to answer to anyone, amen. He didn't know what it was like to be tempted and tested as a human. God can't be tempted. He had no, oh, no idea what it was like for that to happen. But, but he came to this earth in the form of a man. God himself came to this earth in the form of a man so that he could be tempted. Amen. In every point and measure, just as you and I are, yet he did not sin. He did that so on judgment day he can be a righteous judge. So that he knows what temptation is like. So that he can understand what that means to you and I. But it also shows us what, he also did that to show us what is possible. Because he was the perfect example, the, the righteous example of how and what it looks like to live this life totally submitted to the Spirit of God. And it amazes me the things that Jesus did on this earth. Again, he is God himself manifest in flesh. My goodness. I'm not talking about the miracles and the signs. That's all amazing, right? He did great things. He did mighty works. They said all the things that Jesus did, there's not enough books in the world to contain everything that he did. Like everything, there's some very amazing things that he did as a man. 
But, I mean, he is God. He has always done great and mighty things, right? And, of course, this would be no different. But since Jesus was fully man and fully God, he still had to submit his humanity to the spiritual laws that he had set in place. Like, he didn't get a get-out-of-free card just because he was God in flesh. His humanity was still subject to the same spiritual laws that you and I are today. To all the same spiritual laws that he put in his word. All the same spiritual principles. He was submitted to those same things just as you and I are today. Just because he was God, he couldn't just go around and do whatever he wanted as a man. He couldn't make exceptions even for himself. For the anointing and the power that he needed to fulfill his earthly ministry, he still had to pray and fast. Amen. This is God himself manifested flesh, but he still had to pray and he still had to go fast. As soon as his ministry started, as soon as he was baptized by John, Jesus went on a 40-day fast. Ah, it's crazy. The first thing that he did was go and he put his flesh under subjection to the spirit, even though he was God manifest in the flesh. Because he was letting us know the order of Covering, the order of spiritual anointing, the order of spiritual protection. You have to submit your flesh to the Spirit. He was demonstrating to us to what we have to do. That even though he was God, he still had to do some things so that he would be equipped to fulfill his full redemptive potential. And so God himself in the flesh or humanity, he fasted because he needed to return, not just full of the Spirit. He was already full of the Spirit, but the Bible tells us that he came back full of the Spirit and in the power of the Spirit. He didn't just walk in the Spirit. He wasn't just full of the Spirit, but now he walked in the power of the Spirit. It's one thing for you to be filled with the Holy Ghost, but it's a totally different thing for you to walk in the power of that Spirit in your life on a daily basis, walking, overcoming your flesh, living above the things of this life, living above the things of this world, walking in the heavenlies, operating in the heavenlies. If God's filled you with the Holy Ghost, that's great and that's wonderful, and we thank God for that, but that's not all there is. That's not all there is, is that God puts his spirit in you one day and you speak in tongues and God touches your life. That's not all there is. That's just the beginning of the whole thing. Now he, he put that spirit in you so that you can walk in the power of the spirit, that you can be endued with the power from on high so that you can live out a life of witness unto him in this world. So God had to robe himself in flesh to come and show us what to do and the possibilities for ourselves if we follow in his footsteps. As crazy as it seems, he was still submitted as a man to his own spiritual laws. And I I, want to look at one aspect of this unique relationship of his between flesh and spirit because between man and God. And I want to look quickly at the significance of how Jesus operated and demonstrated spiritual laws to us through his own actions. Mark eleven fourteen, And Jesus answered, and he said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. God himself spoke to the fig tree and cursed it. He didn't just look at the fig tree and think it be cursed. He didn't just will the thing to be cursed. He didn't just desire for it to be cursed. He didn't, he didn't just want it to be cursed, but he spoke words to it. By doing this, he was demonstrating a spiritual principle that we as the church need to get a grasp of. He was showing us how the supernatural power within us is released. Again, this is God himself. He is mighty. He is glorious. He's full of wonder. He holds everything together by his own will. He's the one that that spoke everything into existence and, and created you, and he gives you the breath of life in your lungs. And he gave that tree the breath of life and gave it the ability to grow and to move and to do what it was uh, created to do. He had all that. He has all power, amen. He has all authority. He has all dominion. Yet he still had to speak to the tree. He couldn't just will it. He couldn't just think about it. He couldn't just want it. He had to speak to it. Jesus was demonstrating a kingdom principle to his church. Go on, go on, on uh, verse 23, and he says that, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have 
whatsoever he saith. It's one thing to recognize the mountain that's in front of you, but it's something totally different to speak to that mountain. It's one thing to recognize your situation. It's one thing to recognize what's hindering you or the struggle that you face. You can look at it and you can see it all you want, but you cannot stop there. You have to speak something to it for you to truly release the supernatural power of God upon that mountain that God's put in your life to overcome that mountain. This is a spiritual principle that we must get a hold of because there's too many people walking around looking at their mountain instead of speaking to it. They're looking at the mountain in front of them. They're even talking about the mountain in front of them instead of speaking to the mountain. There are people in here right now that are consumed by situations in your life where all that you see is the mountain. The enemy's made the mountain in front of you look so overwhelming, and he's made it look as if it cannot be conquered, that it cannot be removed out of your life. But I've come to declare to you today that that is not God's will for your life. That is not God's design for you as his child. That is not what God has purposed for you. It's not God's will for you to be bound by your past mistakes. That's not God's will. It's not God's will that you have hurt and that you let that hurt keep you bound up and keep you down. That's not God's will for your life. It's not God's will that you be bound by the lies of the enemy that say you can't live up to your full redemptive potential. That's not God's will for your life to be bound by your failures and your addictions and your hurts. That is not God's will for your life. But it is his will for you to walk in the freedom and the power of the Spirit operating through your life in demonstration in the supernatural. For who the Son of Man is set free is free indeed. Not maybe, not kind of, but they are free indeed. Amen. If God sets you free, you are free. You just have to quit focusing on and speaking about your mountain and start speaking to that mountain. Quit talking about the mountain. Quit lifting the mountain up in your conversation. Ah, start talking about the God who's greater. Quit talking to the mountain and start telling that mountain what to do. Amen. Oppression, get from before me and be thou cast into the sea. Depression, get from before me and be thou cast into the sea. Addiction, get out of my face. Get out of my life. You don't have any authority. To me. Get out of my face. Fear, be gone. Sickness, be healed in the name of Jesus. I command you to go in the name of Jesus. Be gone. Be loosed in the name of Jesus. Quit talking about and exalting the sides of the mountain before you and start speaking to it instead. It's not God's will for you to barely get, be getting by spiritually. Barely hanging on week in, week out, service to service, just trying to get to another service, just trying to get to another meeting, just to get another connection with the body. That's not God's will. God wants you to walk in demonstration and power and authority and life, hallelujah, and freedom every day of your life, all day long. It's not God's will for you to just be hanging on to your relationship with him, wondering, God, is, are you there? God, are you, what's going on, Lord? You, uh, you just seem so far. That's not God's will. I get it. We go through seasons. There's times. But, my God, that shouldn't be every week, continually. That's not God's will. He wants to walk with us intimately. He wants to be so near to us that he can whisper in our ear and we hear him. He can just breathe upon us and we recognize his presence. Amen. He wants us to be so intimate with him that, that, he, that we know his voice and that we know his movement and we know his will. And we know his direction day in and day out. It's not his will for you just to be hanging on with a, a relationship to him where you feel so oppressed that you can't even... Freely worship him with joy and gladness. That's not God's will. Because you're so stressed about the mountain and so consumed by the mountain that it's become bigger than your God. That is not God's will for your life. God came to set the captive free. He came to give life, and not just life, but abundant life. And love and joy and peace and a sound mind. Amen. He came to give us all of these things. We are to live in that and to operate that in that. Through the power of the Holy Ghost. The enemy wants to keep you bound. The enemy wants you to believe all of his lies. He wants you to keep, you, keep us focused on the mountain. To keep you focused on your hurt, your failure, your situation, your fear, and your doubt. 
But see, Jesus said, if you would just speak to that mountain, if you would just go before that thing, proclaim my promises over it, proclaim my word over it, speak a word to that mountain in the authority of the name of Jesus Christ. You tell that mountain who's in charge, amen. It's not him. It's not the situation you face. It's not where you God's the one in charge, amen. We just got to stay submitted to his will. I got to get out of me and walk in the spirit. If I'm walking in the spirit, who do I have to fear? What do I have to worry about? What am I so concerned about? Why am I so oppressed and depressed? And in my mind, I got all this anxiety in my heart and my spirit and all this stuff that consumes my thinking. Why? Because I'm more focused on the mountain than I am my God. My God, you just got to speak to the mountain. You got to speak to the mountain. You got to tell the mountain it's not going to hinder you anymore. There's people in here, the mountain has been before you for a while, and it's hindering what God really wants to do in and through you. Amen. And you need to start speaking to that mountain and telling it, you're not going to hinder me anymore in the name of Jesus. I'm coming up out of this thing. I'm coming up over you, mountain. I'm either going to go through you or I'm going to kick you out. One of the way, whatever way God decides to do it. Amen. That's where I'm going. Amen. I'm not going to keep my eyes focused on the mountain. I'm not going to keep my eyes focused on the situation. I'm not going to let the enemy hold my past against me. My past from this morning. Because maybe you made a bad choice. Amen. God will free you from that today if you come before him with a heart that says, God, I submit myself to you one more time. God, wash me clean. Forgive me of my sins. Amen. I repent. I'm not going to do that anymore by the power of your spirit in me. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going to walk in the way you want me to walk. I'm going to let you guide my steps. I'm going to let you lead me and guide me. And I'm not going to focus on everything else that this world's throwing at me. Some of you are going to go home with your miracle today. <laughs> Some of you are going to walk out of here set free. That mountain that's been in your face for so long, God's going to remove it out of your life today. Amen. I pray your faith begins to lift up and you begin to see that happening in your own life because God will do it. God will set you free. God will heal your heart. He will take care of your past and your future and your present. Almost every miracle that Jesus performed, he had to speak that miracle into existence. God himself spoke miracles into existence. He said, rise up and walk. Be thou healed. Your faith hath made you whole. Go and sin no more. Walked up to a dead man's tomb. God, it's been dead for days that everybody and everything said there's no way that guy's going to get healed. There's no way that there's any hope for him. He stinks. He's dead. He's rotten. He's in a cave in the desert. He's decaying. And Jesus walked up and he said, was well, this too great for me? Amen. He looked at that tomb and he said, Lazarus, come forth. Hallelujah. My God. He didn't look at the situation. He didn't look at what was going on. He knew who he was and he knew. He was about to glorify the Father in this action. So he spoke to that tomb, and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And a dead man come walking out of that tomb. And the people ripped the dead clothes off of him, and he came forth in life. You know, it's a good thing that he named him Lazarus when he called him. Because if he just said, come forth to the dead, every grave on this earth would have busted open. <sighs> That's our God. That's our God. That's our God. Hey, he can pull a dead man out of a tomb. What can he do in your life? He is able. He's more than able. And not only can he, but he will do it. Sometimes, sometimes you just have to talk to your mountain. Sometimes you just have to talk to your situation and begin binding that thing and begin to take authority over it. Tell that thing to be cast into the sea, to be removed from before you. I wonder how many in this place today have been bound or have turned away from the supernatural handiwork of God in our lives as God was just about to unleash his glory into our lives. How many of us have gotten wrapped up in the lies of the enemy and have accepted that where I am right now is where I will always be, that the mountain is too great in my life and all the while, God's looking down on us saying, 
I've envisioned so much more for you than where you are right now. I've got things planned for your life that were there when I began to form you in your mama's womb. Hallelujah. i got things planned for your life, amen, that I'm going to use you to do for my glory, amen. That there's something just beyond where you are today that God himself has envisioned for your life. I'm convinced that God has plans for every person in this place. Every person in this place, God has a plan for your life. You aren't created by accident. You aren't just something that's here walking around on this earth. God created you with a purpose, a potential, a supernatural potential that he created you to use you for his glory in this world. Amen. He's created a plan for your life, no matter your background, no matter your story, plans that will boggle your mind. Your life has purpose, and your best days are yet to come. Amen. Your life has a purpose, and it may not be exactly what you think it is. Just get in God's will and let him direct it and see what he can do. My God. Amen. God, you take my steps. Lead me, God, on those steps. God, you take me where you want to use me and do with me. All that you want to do, God. We haven't seen anything yet. God not only can, but he will raise you up, and he will fulfill his will in your life. You might feel as if there's only death and decay in your life right now. You may feel like you're stuck in a dead man's tomb because all you see is the mountain before you. But God, but God, but God, in the midst of death, he will bring life to your situation. And not only will he bring life to your situation, but he will use your situation to bring life to others. I love, I've, more and more over the years, I've fallen in love with the book of Ezekiel. So much in there. So powerful. And one of my favorite stories in Ezekiel is 37, chapter 37, starting in verse 1. Many of you have probably heard this, but I'm going to read it. What a statement. The hand of the Lord was upon me. Hmm. Wow. Just to know that. If all you know when you walk out of this place is that the, Lord, the hand of the Lord is upon me. My God, everything else, what matters? <laughs> Nothing else really matters, right? Pentecostal calisthenics. Sorry. Sorry. Again, Ezekiel 37, 1, it says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he carried me out in the spirit of the Lord. And he set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones. And he caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley. And lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord, thou knowest. God, you know. Again, he said unto me, prophesy upon these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, behold, I cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and I will bring up flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So what did he do? He said, I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. Then said he unto me, prophesy unto the wind. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. So what did I do? I prophesied. As he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army. As Ezekiel looks at those dead and desolate bones, God's telling Ezekiel, though it looks as if all is lost right now, my purpose that dwells in those bones will live again. Amen. Amen. 
If you just prophesy to them, son of man, Ezekiel, you do what I'm telling you to do, and you speak to those bones what I'm telling you to speak, the life and the purpose of those bones will come back to them. Amen? The responsibility for the supernatural suddenly became Ezekiel's. God didn't need Ezekiel, but he put that responsibility upon him. The responsibility for God to do something great was put into Ezekiel's hands. So this morning, I want to remind you that if you're involved in situations that seem dead or dry or completely lost, I want you to know that there's purpose and that there's destiny and that those situations, there's still life, your calling, your ministry, your family, your redemptive potential is still alive even though right now you may not see it. Even though right now you may not recognize it. Even though right now it seems like dead in a dry valley. But God has declared in his hand and a power over your life. And as soon as you prophesy, God has determined that those situations will leap to life again. That life will flow into those dead and dry bones. And he will bring forth an exceeding and great army. Because there's something so powerful about supernatural purpose. you got to understand, you have supernatural purpose. You're not just part of a church. You're part of the body of Christ, endued with power from on high, called with a mission and a purpose and a desire to go forth and be the hands and feet of God himself in this earth. You have supernatural purpose. And that supernatural purpose is there even when it seems dead and gone. One Faithful word declared over it will expose the divine possibility of it. One faithful word spoken over that situation will bring life and supernatural power into that situation. And what you thought could not be will suddenly become. And what you thought was bound will be set free. What you thought was meant to stop you will position you for your purpose. And not only you, but for those in your life that God will use you to bring life to them. You need to know that the hand of God is on your life. Ah, The hand of God is on your life. It doesn't matter if you've not reached your full potential yet. It does not matter if you've drifted away from your purpose. That doesn't matter. The supernatural hand of God is on your life, and it cannot be stopped by any mountain, by any situation, by any valley. The supernatural hand of God in your life cannot be stopped. A natural thing, a natural problem, or a natural man has no power over the supernatural hand of God. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're working through, you need to be reminded that you were created for a supernatural purpose. You need to understand that. You need to internalize that about yourself. It's not just the pastor. It's not just the staff. It's not just, it's every one of you. If you've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, if you've been filled with the Holy Ghost, then you have the supernatural purpose of God dwelling in you. It's not a normal thing that you've been called to do. Ah. It's not a normal thing that you've been called to do. It's not an ordinary thing that you've been called to do. It's not a natural thing that you've been called to do. It's a supernatural thing that God's calling you to. It's a supernatural thing that God wants to do in and through you in this world for his glory. If you were just naturally gifted, if you were just depending on natural abilities and natural gifting and natural influence, then any natural thing that came along could stop you. Any circumstance could knock you off of the mission. But because you're anointed of God and you're called by God and you have supernatural power pouring through you, you can rise up in any circumstance and say, I'm God's woman or I'm God's man for this day and for this time and for this moment and for this purpose, my God. You're just one encounter with God away from your whole life changing. You're just one prophecy away, prophecy away from your freedom. You're just one prophecy away from the life God has ordained for you. One faith-filled spoken word away from seeing life come from death, from seeing the mountain removed from before you. In the middle of your pain, you have to say, I'm supernatural. Because you might, you're going to experience pain. You're going to experience some things. Just living for God isn't all cotton candy and roses and butterflies. Just read the Bible. 
you might get sawed asunder or boiled in oil or stoned or put in a prison or but it's okay because I'm supernatural. It don't matter what you do to this. I got the supernatural God dwelling in me. Amen. In the middle of the storm, you have to say, I'm supernatural. In the middle of your valley, you have to say, I'm supernatural. When chaos is in your life, you have to say, I'm supernatural. When your kids are going crazy, you have to say, I'm supernatural. You have to declare that I've been anointed for this. I've been anointed for this time, this moment, in this day, in this place, and in this situation. It's about the Spirit of God dwelling inside of you. The problem is, is we get too focused on this, and we forget, lose our focus off of him. We want to make sure that this is taken care of. I want to make sure I got a roof over my head, and I got food, and, you know, I'm not getting hurt. I'm not getting sick. I'm not doing anything. I'm not doing anything that would cause any harm to come upon me. And God's like, I just want you to walk in faith. Am I bigger than all that stuff? Yes, you are. Can I take you through that if you come into it? Yes, you can. Hey, let me just say, I don't know. I just feel like saying, you know, God's going to call you out of this life one day. You understand that? God's going to call you from this life one day. And if you're living for God, for one thing, what are you worried about? But for two, he's going to take you when he's ready to take you. And you're not going to change it. All your planning and protecting and doing and all this stuff that you can do that we can do in the natural, it's not going to change it. When he says it's time, it's time. And however he decides he's going to take you, he's going to take you that way. Amen? I just felt like I needed to say that. Quit being so worried about stuff. Quit being so worried about stuff in this flesh and in this earth and in the natural Quit listening to the news and the quit listening to all the politics and stuff and what they're saying is going, God's got it under control. Whatever that looks like, he's gonna do it. Amen. And me and you worrying about it ain't gonna change a thing. I had to realize that. That's an epiphany I got in the last year. Because I would drive myself crazy over politics. Now I don't even have a clue hardly what's going on in the world. I don't know if that's good or bad, but at least I got peace. I know that. Okay. I don't know where that all came from. That was God. Just take that with you. At the beginning of Ezekiel's story, he says a very unique phrase. Again, he says that the hand of the Lord was upon me, right? <laughs> That's awesome. That's great stuff. That's amazing stuff, right? I've been anointed by the hand of God himself. That's amazing and that's great. But he brought me into a valley of dry bones. I'm not sure about you, but for me, when I think about the anointing of God, I don't think about a valley of dry bones. I think about supernatural provision. I think about mass healings. I think about people coming before God with open hearts and repenting and God filling them with the Holy Ghost. I think about miracles and signs and wonders. I think about all this great stuff that God can and will do, amen. I don't think about a valley of dry bones. But Ezekiel said, no, when he was anointed, he said, he took me to the valley of dry bones. But when you and I realize that your supernatural purpose is greater than just you and I, your anointing, your supernatural purpose is greater than just you and yours. God didn't save you just to save you. God didn't fill you with the Holy Ghost and supernatural power just so you could walk around with supernatural power in your life. But he did that with a purpose, not just for you. Yes, it is for you, but it's not just for you. It's so that you can go and take that same supernatural power and walk up to people and they can experience the same God that you experienced. And you can bring hope into their hopelessness and bring light into their darkness to bring life into their death. That's why he did it. You have to realize that your anointing is not just for you. You have to realize that you've been taken to that place in order for you to not only save yourself, but God is going to use you to save the entire valley of dry bones. My God. 
You have the word from God that will revitalize an entire army of the spiritually dead in this world. You have the Holy Ghost life in you. And just because you may not feel it right now, you need to rise up and see it. You need to get a vision of it. You need to get your heart set on it. Your sickness didn't come to kill you. It came to raise up a whole army of faith through you. My God. Your mountain is not there to stop you. It's not there to, to bind you, but it's there to position you. Our troubles were not designed to take us out. We're just surrounded by a valley of dry bones. But God, but God, but God has anointed us. God has anointed you, and God has anointed me. And he has placed us in the midst of that dead and dry valley to reach the whole region. It may not seem that way. When I'm looking around and all I see is mountains and dry bones, but we've not, see, we've not been brought here to fail. We've not been brought into these situations to fail. We've just been anointed for the dryness. You've been anointed for the dryness that God's placing you in. Sometimes you're anointed for the provision, and sometimes you're anointed for the dryness. The provision feels better. We like the provision. We love that anointing. But the dryness produces an army of revival that cannot be quenched. Because when he moves in that valley and he brings forth an army and he gives life out of that death, there's nothing that can stop it. The change that God wants to produce in the dry place, whatever that may be, has already begun. Because God's placed you there. Don't be bitter and frustrated and upset with the situation that you find yourself in. Trust that God is working something so great out, things you can't even imagine. That he's going to work in that situation and he's going to bring forth his glory. Change is about to come because what is inside you is bigger than where you presently are. Huh. Your workplace doesn't know about it yet. Your school, young people, your school don't know about it yet. Ha -ha. The city doesn't know about it yet. They don't even know what's close by them, amen. But God's getting ready to unleash something out of us and out of you, amen, on this city, on your life, on your the, the dry bones that you go into day in and day out that you're around, amen. God's going to bring life through you to them, amen. He's going to use the anointing that he's put on you to take you into that dry situation that you could speak life into their darkness, life into their death, and bring them forth out of that. We may have labored long, but we're not going to worry about that. Because the revival that is in us, the revival that is in you is bigger than what you see with your eyes right now. My God, you got to get your eyes off of all this stuff and get your eyes set on him. Start thinking in the spirit. Start, start thinking kingdom-mindedness. Start thinking the way he thinks, amen, because he put his spirit and his character in you. I can override that. Or I can submit to it. <laughs> I can say, help me see, God. I want to see with your eyes. That's been one of my prayers. God, let me see with your eyes. God, let me see with your eyes as I'm walking through my day. God, as I'm going in the store, I want to see with your eyes. I don't want to just see the way I think and through my carnal understanding and the things of my life that create all of my philosophies. God, I want to, I want to see through your eyes, God, and everything I do everywhere I go. Some of you need to rise up and start speaking some things over your situations. You've been worrying enough. You've fretted enough. You've accepted enough in your family and in the city. Why don't you start to speak to those things that are not as though they are over your situation in your life. Start speaking over that family member. Start claiming what you want God to do in their life. Get a hold of a word and speak that promise over your situation until God brings it to pass. Don't just sit by idly and let those things continue on. Get in the spirit and do what God's called you, anointed you to do, to bring life into those dry bones. Start declaring what God has declared over that valley of bones. Telling that mountain what to do and stop declaring how great the mountain is. When you talk about that thing, you know all you're doing is lifting it up.
whatever that thing is in your life. We all got them probably. Don't, don't sit here and think you don't have anything because you probably do. Quit, quit talking about that thing so much. Quit exalting it and telling how much it's causing you problems in your life and all this stuff. Start speaking the word of God over it. Start speaking faith over it. Start speaking about your God to it. And see what he will do. Amen. Music, if you come, I'm about to close. If you can stand to your feet, you can all stand. My God, I believe God wants to set people free today. He's brought you here to equip you and anoint you in the dryness. Amen. The main thing that you need to understand is that you can't let the adversity around you get inside of you. You can't let the situations around you dictate your vision. They can't dictate your heart. They can't dictate your attitudes. You got to get a hold of what God says and let Him be the one who directs your heart and your attitudes and your vision. When your purpose starts slipping, you become like everybody else that is discouraged. You can't listen to the people around you always whining about all the issues in their life and all their troubles. Yes, bless them. Be an encouragement to them. And, and try to be compassionate with them and love them right with their hat. But by God, if you got people all the time just speaking negativity to you and hurt and failure and death into your life, man, those aren't the people I want to be around. I want to hear about hope. I want to hear about how good God is. I want to hear about what God's doing in your life, not what the, not what the government's doing in your life or some sickness or any other such thing. My God. I heard something the other a while back, and it just, you know, it's just so true. How many people in the church, we, we go around, we talk about all this stuff that's going on in our lives. You know, the devil's attacking me. Oh, I got sickness. The devil's attacking me. Oh, my finances are a mess. The devil's attacking me. Like, like we're real quick to talk about that stuff. How much do we walk around saying, you know what, God spoke to me today. God showed me something today. God declared a word to me today. How much would that just change your whole attitude, the way you think? Not just yours, but it's going to change the person you share that with. It's going to change their attitude a little bit. Give them a little hope. Give them a little expectation instead of tearing them down. Pay attention to what you're talking about. All your conversations are about the world. And the things of this world and the things of this flesh, man, you need to get yourself in check. I say that kindly. Like, I say that like, pay attention. What's your mind focused on? The mountain? Is your mind focused on the valley of dry bones that's all around you? Or are you saying, breathe, life, come for the winds from the four corners of the earth and breathe life into them? My God, what a whole different perspective. You can't listen to everybody's stuff all the time. Again, if, if they're situa it's one thing if they're in a situation. It's one thing when it's all the time. That's all they talk. All the fear, all the negativity, always talking about their situations instead of talking about their God. You said, it's not for me. That's not who I am. And that's not what I'm going to do. I do have troubles in life. I have situations come up. I make mistakes and get myself in situations. I do have troubles in my life. Things happen. But I also understand that even in that, I'm anointed for this. God has anointed me with a supernatural purpose and a plan. Not anything, I'm not saying that about, I'm saying that about him. It's not about you, it's not about, it's about him. And what he wants to do through you. Amen, we're just vessels of his glory, hallelujah. Amen, it's all about him, it's all about him. 
I do see dryness around me right now, but I've been anointed to deal with the dryness. Hallelujah. I feel dry right now, but there's a river of anointing inside of me, and it's about to break out, and it's about to come forth, and it's going to bring life with it. That's going to flow not just into me, but it's going to flow from me, and it's going to touch the people in my life. It's going to touch the people that I come into contact with all around me. It'd be good this morning if you decide that you're made for more than where you are right now. Because God has more for you. This is not the full culmination of everything that God has for your life. God has more for you. you got to make up your mind and understand that that is his will for your life, that he does have more for you than where you are right now. It doesn't matter what everyone else is talking about. You prophesy. You speak to the situation. You speak to the mountain. You speak to the dryness in your life. You speak the word of God. You declare, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord over that situation. What do you expect from God? It doesn't matter how dark it seems right now. It doesn't matter how dry it is. God will bring life into that situation. That's what he does. He did it in the very beginning. Our first understanding of God is that's what he does. Light into darkness, life from nothingness and chaos. doesn't matter how dark it is. It doesn't matter how dry it is. God will bring life to that situation. I want you to lift your hands right now. I don't know what you've been going through. I don't know what you're dealing with, but I do know God that, that God brought me here today to let you know that, that He is bigger than your mountain. That He is bigger than the valley you find yourself in right now. And that mountain isn't there to stop you. And that valley isn't there to keep you. But he puts you there with an anointing, hallelujah, for that situation to take you through it and bring life, not just to you, but to everything you come in contact with. If you have a word from the Lord, you'd better rise up and declare it. You'd better begin to rise up and speak that word. Hey, if the enemy's taking that word, you grab back a hold of it right now. And you begin to speak that word. Declare it over your life. Declare it over your life.